0: It's been on the New York Times bestseller list for 197 weeks. The book Three Cups of Tea by Greg Mortensen and David Oliver Rowland continues to engage and inspire millions of people around the world. The story of one man's journey to build schools for children in the most remote regions of Pakistan and Afghanistan has helped to forge a better understanding of how to encourage peace and cooperation where there has only been war and armed conflict for decades. But when I met with Mortensen at the Mountain Film Festival in Telluride, Colorado, earlier this year, he shared with me his latest project.
1: The second book I wrote, Stones in School, is more about Afghanistan, and it's also more about the lessons I learned in Three Cups of Tea, about empowering the people, listening to the elders, about really letting the people themselves do the work. And so I tried to really show that people themselves can be empowered.
0: Stones in the Schools isn't just a sequel to a popular piece of nonfiction. It's a testament to the impact one person can make in the lives of others. By providing the people of Afghanistan with the tools they need to help themselves, Mortensen is doing far more than just building schools. He's paving a long road toward a world that lives in peace. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. One
2: of the things that I find fascinating is that you have quite a few success stories. Many people who have been the direct recipients of the schools that you've had the opportunity to build and to start. Tell me a little bit about a couple of the people that have meant a lot to you.
1: Well, one young woman, her name is Fozia. She's from Azad Kashmir in Pakistan, which was affected by the massive earthquake in 2005. Fozia went to school in her village, she grew up in her own community. Two years ago, in 2008, she became the first female attorney to pass her bar exams out of four million people. So she's now the first female attorney out of four million people, and she wants to get back and advocate for land ownership, that's her thing. Another woman named Aziza, who's from the tribal areas on the Pakistan-Afghan border. Aziza graduated from high school in 1998. She went to two years of training. She became a maternal health care worker, and in her valley, Before she started working there in 2000, 10 years ago, every year about five to 20 women died in childbirth. So Aziza went to two years of training. She came back in 2000. Since Aziza has been in Charperson Valley in the last decade, not one single woman has died in childbirth. And her pay is about maybe $1.50 per day. And her entire two years of training cost $800. So that shows you what one woman can do with her education. There's Shakila, who is uh, this year. Shakila Aslam is graduating from medical school in Lahore, in Pakistan. She's going to become the first female physician out of 1.2 million people in Baltistan, in northeast Pakistan. And, and unlike some other people who have got their education and leave, Shakila is going back this fall to work in her home village called Hushey. She's very determined. Um, to work. And her thing also is uh, to to alleviate the number of women who die in childbirth. She's very uh, committed to that.
2: Something that is, I think, a recurring theme throughout your entire story is how much can be accomplished with very little. Has that persisted through your experience in Afghanistan now that you have 131 schools?
1: I think so, and I'm a frugal Midwesterner, so it kind of is in my blood a little bit. But what I've learned over many years is that not helping people or enabling, but, but empowering them. And part of that involves being very fastidious about what you give people and to get reciprocal feedback. So, for example, when we set up a school, we provide skilled labor, materials, and teacher training, but the community has to give free land, free resources and then free manual labor, meaning five to thousand, 8,000 days of free manual labor if they want to get a school belt. And it's not because we're being stingy, but it's because we want them to have some uh, involvement in setting up their own community initiative. And, and what that does is it gets a local buy, and I think that's also one of the main reasons the Taliban... They have not destroyed or shut down any of our schools. They're reluctant. There's also organizations like CARE and Oxfam. None of their schools have been shut down. They have been attacked but not shut down because the community is, is so galvanized behind that because they put so much you know, blood, sweat, and tears into that project. That having been
2: said, we're entering the eighth year of the war in Afghanistan. And I'm very curious to know how working in that particular part of the world is impacting your ability to be effective. I mean, how much of the resistance that you're getting from the Taliban and, and even from perhaps the, the U.S. government in terms of doing the work that's so important?
1: Well, it takes many, many years. And I look at this in terms of not only years or decades, but generations. There has been some amazing success stories in Afghanistan, which... Very few people in the U.S. are aware about. And the most successful, I think, is that in 2000, one decade ago, before 9-11, at the height of the Taliban, there were 800,000 children in school, age 5 to 15. And today, 10 years later, there are 9 million children in school, including 2.8 million females. So this is the largest increase in school enrollment in any country in modern history, but nobody in the U.S., seems to be aware of that on the flip side of that though is is the the tragic attacks the, the Taliban they they have bombed burned or destroyed or shut down over 2100 schools in the last three years um, in Pakistan Afghanistan but and what's interesting is about 80 or 90 percent of schools they are girls schools and they're not boys schools and so this is ongoing schools will be attacked destroyed and shut down but overall the enrollment continues to skyrocket but um, it is a, often at a great price or or a risk or a cost
2: you've taken the time to work with the most remote areas in Afghanistan you're literally going to the end of civilization how has that been a part of making this entire effort successful
1: well it's a big part of it my second book stones into schools I open it up by describing William Kitteridge who is a Montana author, and he writes about the last best place, which we call Montana. That's how we do our work. Also, we, we seek out not to start out in a very urban area and use build all our resources and you know set up a big infrastructure, but rather we go to the last area, the last most remote area, or the area of most physical isolation, or religious extremism, or also areas of conflict, and then we help the communities there set up a school or something and then we work our way back to civilization so it's the flip side or reverse of how most organizations 95% of organizations work and i think there's room for all kinds of endeavors i you know most people it's by you know it's inevitable they're going to start working in a city and work their way out into the countryside or into the more dangerous areas but I think there's a tremendous need for us to go to the last village, or to the most remote area, or the most dangerous or war-affected area, and then work your way back to the city. So, and it can be done. We've been doing this now for, you know, many many years. There's a lot of people out
2: there who are interested, perhaps, in emulating your work and might like to do something similar to what you've done. Can you give me a little bit of advice for for, for someone who you know might be inspired by passion but have no idea as to how they might proceed
1: well it, it, I'm sometimes humbled by I meet a lot of people who have now changed their lives after reading three cups of tea It's a little bit scary too with some people in the corporate world some people who have um, right after high school have gone overseas or but but i, I also I, th- I think the advice I would give to people is the first thing is to take care of yourself now that sounds maybe a little strange but if you really want to go out and make a difference in the world or make the world a better place or your community, you have to be a really strong person yourself. You know, have strong resolve. You don't go out into the world to solve your own problems. You first solve your own problems. I'd also say to start out really small. You know, don't worry about the forest. Just plant one seed and one tree. Help one child do one good thing and then build on it whenever you start something think about sustainability you know how is this going to work in 5 10 or 50 years don't think about you know just helping somebody but if you want to do something how can it be made sustainable and the way to do that is again to empower people and it's it's very easy to help somebody but it's much more challenging to empower somebody, but ultimately, that's what will remain enduring is when you've empowered somebody to do something on their own.
0: I recently reconnected with Greg Mortensen at the Banff Mountain Film Festival in Alberta, Canada. A short documentary film called Stones Into Schools, based on his new book, is currently part of the Banff Mountain Film Festival World Tour. For more information, visit stonesintoschools.com. For The Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music This Week by Chad Ferran. The Joy Trip Project is made possible through the generous support of our sponsor, Patagonia. Check out their latest new media projects and conservation initiatives at their blog, thecleanestline.com. Thanks for listening, but we hope you'll write. Send a message with your questions, comments, or criticisms by email to info at or find us on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.